session three, Unshakable Identity. There are many corners of the internet that are easy to get lost in, and one of them represents DIY failures. I'll show you a few that I've come across recently, got a little bit of a padded ride. There, denim is in, in your home if you're, uh, if you're doing this. I mean, the stuff that can get lost in couches, just think about all those pockets. I mean, maybe there's loose change you'd find in one of those. Um, how to make a doll into a wine glass in 23 quick steps. I don't know why that requires 23 steps or why you would want to drink out of uh, that person's skull. Um, you guys could go home and do this one. Of course, the souls of all those teddy bears are trapped forever in that toilet seat as they stare back at you and so on, smiling faces. I just, the, the impulse, I, I'm not sure where that has come from. Um, this, this, is, this is pretty innovative. I'm guessing their AC went out inside their house and so they've got it powered from the car AC. Of course, the amount that they're spending on gas Probably been a lot cheaper to head down to Lowe's and get a window unit or something. Uh, this guy, uh, he's confident. I'll give him that. Um, but I don't know how many brains are going to be left over after this job. It's, it's a DIY scaffolding. He's got a ladder going sideways. He's got ladders going up. He's got support ladders down at the bottom there. And he's not wearing a shirt. So, uh, but he's prepared to do work. Um, this one's my personal favorite. <laughs> they have replaced their side mirror with a, a dental mirror that's used to see inside of people's... It's just so small. What are, you, what are you expecting to be able to use that for? Uh, I don't know. But listen, Christianity is not a DIY religion. It's, it's not something that we, we get to invent and make up as we go along. Now, at some point, the people in all those pictures, they, they came to a place of concluding, yep, that does it. That'll hold it. That's enough. And, and they ended up settling for something that was obnoxiously less than it was intended to be. And, and, and we can do the same kind of thing. We can come up with our own version of what this faith looks like, and, and you've, you've, you know, you've got many people representing that today. On January 1st, Kanye West tweeted this. He said, we will change the world. God is on my side. I am a Christian. I am a taxpayer. I am myself. God is with us. I don't know what he means by any of those words. I don't know if that was sudden Holy Spirit inspiration or if that was the Chick-fil-A effect. You know, he just eaten a lot of Chick-fil-A, so you got to post something about Jesus It'll, it'll do that to you. Uh, but listen, there, there is no other Christianity than Philippians 3. So if you'd open there in your Bible with me. If you have a version different than this, you, you need a refund. And listen, there, there ought to be, and, and starting in this season of your life, there ought to be certain verses and certain passages of Scripture that rock your world that have gripped you, that you didn't realize, wait, that was in the Bible, and you finally realize what it's saying. And, and Philippians 3 has been one of those 
passages for me, and I pray it is for you. Let's just take some time to read this whole chapter together. All right, Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. All right, consider with me and just be honest with yourself for a moment. What are your goals for this year? 
Now, I know you get to cheat a little bit because you, you sat down with the Lord this, this morning and spent time considering goals in, in, in the categories that He finds valuable. I'm just so grateful for that time and your, and your pursuit of that, and uh, I want to hear more from you about how that, how that was. But as you, as you kind of enter this year and, you, and, you, and, you, and your, your mind kind of just goes instinctively to the places that you want to see furthered, what, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to get to experience more of? And you need to pay attention to your hopes, what you're striving to have, what you tend to fight for, or, or what you fear losing and can worry about possibly being taken away from you. Because if you trace those things out and you go all the way to the bottom, what you will find is something that, that you are finding your identity in, something that defines you, that, that you see yourself as represented by that status, that item, that achievement, and so your own existence can be threatened if in some way it's taken away. And, and, and that's what Paul wants us to consider in this, in this chapter. He wants us to consider where our confidence is. Look, look where he starts. Verse 1, finally, and that's, that's a little bit of a joke, isn't it? Because you're halfway through the letter. And that, that's, that's what preachers tend to do. They say, in wrapping up, and they've got like 30 minutes more to say. And Paul has that same disease because uh, he's a good pastor. Um, he says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Right, that's the theme showing up again and again. And he says, to write these things to you, it's no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. That doesn't seem to follow. It seems like he changes subjects. All of a sudden, he's talking about joy, and he says, this is what keeps you safe. This is what guards you from what you are vulnerable to. This is what keeps you from being shaken. And, and the way that it does is it, it protects you from adopting certain assumptions, certain ways of doing life, things that you will look to that could shake you. And, and so he, he makes a sudden turn and he brings in this, this warning and he, he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And you think, okay, what happened here? Just, am I in some kind of horror film? Am I reading Philippians? Or is this like from the Saw franchise? I don't know, they're on like movie 17, Saw 17 or whatever. Uh, I'll explain what, what he means in a, in a moment. But it, it's interesting what he says because later on in verse 17, he says, watch me. Imitate me. You want an example for how to do this? Watch what I do. But here he starts by saying, watch out. Look out for these kinds of people. Consider this. What, who do you look to for teachers and for examples? Who's, whose viewpoints do you subscribe to? Who do you respect when they speak or they post or they present to you some way of doing life and, and getting what is good out of it. Because 
It's interesting, he, he, he calls them dogs, and it seems like a little bit of name-calling, and it is, and it's an intentional name. But listen, false teachers don't come like wearing a name tag. They, they, they don't come and it says, hello, my name is false teacher. Uh, that'd be pretty easy to discern. Uh, I, I'm not going to listen to you because you just say lies. And often they don't just say lies. They say a lot of things that are true but it's spun in the wrong direction or it's rooted in things that don't have anything to do with, with God. And, 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 and the Philippians were tempted to give these kinds of people an audience. They would roll into town and, and they would schedule a meeting and say, what do you guys have to say? And in their categories that mattered about how to live a super spiritual life and how to be somebody that God applauds and they would fill the room to hear that. But, you know, for us today, it's, a, it's, it's pretty different. And, and it's different in a way that your generation, you know, even, even I, I didn't experience it in the same way that, that you did, because I grew up in a house that did not have internet. That's how ancient I am, right? Uh, but, but that's, I, you know, I'm 29, which is not that ancient, but that's how much rapid change has happened. By the time I was in high school, we got dial-up, and, you, you know, we'd, we'd make this weird sound that you're contacting aliens in order to log on. You actually had to go onto the Internet. It didn't come to you. But your, your existence has been a connected one, right? You, you don't need any intermediaries when it comes to accessing information. You used to have to go to a library or open up a dictionary that a publisher signed off on. Some authority figure said, here's the viewpoint, and you purchase the book with your parents' permission, you know, whatever. Uh, you've got instant access to Siri and Google and anybody else who wants to tell you about all the questions that you want to have answered, which means that the variety of of viewpoints and philosophies and ideas that you are exposed to, that is unprecedented in the history of humanity. That, that, is, that is concerning. That is, that is something to, to be aware of. You can't be an amateur when it comes to navigating that that reality that's in front of you, but, and, and listen, it doesn't have to, you know, a philosophy can show up in a meme. It doesn't have to come from Socrates. Well, Paul's warning them about this, and, and, and what the dogs wanted them to do was to locate their confidence in the flesh, which is just a, a word for saying, your humanity in you apart from Christ. They are inviting you to attach your acceptance, your security, your sense of well-being, your sense of being somebody in what you've done. And, and, and what they would do is they'd say, you know, there's this membership card to, to be included in our special club of important people. And that membership card for them was circumcision. And circumcision was something that God had given to His Old Testament people to, to mark them as members of, of His covenant. But what they were doing is they were taking that and, and they were saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is, is the Messiah. He's the Savior. But you've you got to believe in Him and you've got to do something. Something has to happen to your body. You Gentiles that are coming to, to faith in Jesus, you have, there's a work you have to do to really be accepted by God. And, and it's interesting that he, he, he turns on them all of their favorite titles. 
Because they would call people that didn't have circumcision, they were the dogs. That was the insult that they would use. And, and, and he's like, no, you're the people dogging God's people with burdens and trying to put upon them what, what, what God has not required when he's fully purchased everything that's, that's necessary to be acceptable to God. You think, you think you're the ones doing good stuff? You're, you're the evildoers by perverting the gospel. You, 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 think, you think you're the circumcision? That was their, their party label? You're the mutilators. You promise wholeness and you destroy people in the process. Now listen, we, we are 2,000 years removed from this event and this letter, but these are the same principles that we bump up against all the time. And we are tempted to subscribe to these viewpoints. You can do that spiritually. You, you can kind of gauge your acceptance before God based on how, how well you're doing. And so if you've sinned or you've messed up, you, you, you kind of figure at that point, what's the point? Why go to Him? Why confess? Why be honest about my struggle? Because you think your standing before Him is based in, in some way in, in what you do or don't do? Or, or maybe, you, you, you know, grace isn't really amazing to you and you don't sing these songs with passion because you think you're basically a fine person, you're a pretty good person. You know, who needs Jesus when you're the Savior of your soul? So you can do that in the spiritual realm, but you can do that socially. You, you, you attach your right standing to your performance, to your appearance, to the clothes you wear. You're, you're, you're always gauging based on people's responses and reactions whether or not you're worth being somebody. Listen, welcome to a shaky existence. If the ground beneath my feet is held up by my best efforts and my abilities to be funny or to be athletic or to be talented or to be somebody who matters, joy will evaporate. And that's why Paul says joy is designed to guard you from this exactly. He says we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We, we just want him to receive the glory and not me. But Paul says, that confidence game, I, I, I know how to play it. I, I, I live for that stuff. And he gives his own biography here. He, he knew how to build a resume that got attention. I've heard that if you put either chocolate or guacamole in your dating profile, uh, you tend to get more responses back, you know. That's how you can kind of pad that a little bit. And, and, and Paul knows how to give a, a profile here. He says, you guys want to compare this? He's, he's Saul of Tarsus. He's a Roman citizen. He's from an impressive city. He's an intellectual. You know, he steps in the room and, and, and the heads turn when he comes because he is, he's somebody of influence. He's somebody that, that, that people respect and want to listen to what he has to say. He's, he's from the right people. He, he has ethnic pride. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
He's an Israelite. He's, he's from the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, right? He, this, the, Saul, the first king of Israel, was from Benjamin. Benjamin was the only other tribe out of all the 12 that stuck it out with, with Judah while the other 10 were no longer following God. And so he, he, he's got pedigree that he's coming with here, right? He, he's a Pharisee. He's an expert in the very topic that everybody was interested in, and they would look to him for help. But what, what is he listing out here? The, this is the stuff that, that Paul used to be known for. What got him out of bed in the morning made him feel significant. He, he, he woke up and he pulled out his phone and he did a status update in these categories. It made him somebody worth noticing. And, and he, felt, he felt great about them all. He, even his record before God seemed to be clean, blameless. <laughs> Who could say that? I did it all. I checked every single box. Even God was impressed. That's what Paul is saying here. And yet he takes these very things and tosses them in the garbage. I saw somebody post on Twitter that they had been saving up money uh, to pay for some Utah football tickets and they were keeping it in cash and they said, we pulled our money out yesterday to pay my mom for the season. We couldn't find the envelope until my wife checked the shredder <laughs> and their two-year-old had shredded 1,060 bucks. <laughs> oh man, at that point, it's like, where can you turn in that child? Um, I saw his picture, he was cute at least, but in, in this passage, it's like you hear the hum of the shredder in the background. As all of Paul's accolades get torn to pieces and, and, and the, people's in, the people in Paul's day did not get this. Paul, what, what are you doing, man? Are you insane? Are you crazy? You can, you can picture young people who used to respect him. They're, they're unfollowing. They're unsubscribing. Paul, you used to be somebody we paid attention to, but now it's like you, you've got a reality TV show on VH1. You know, you're, you're like one of those celebrity has-beens that shows up in the clickbait ad. You know, see how fat she's become. You know, that's who Saul has become to these people. What happened? Having everything had become empty to him. When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything got turned upside down. It was an identity crisis. It shook him to the core. Everything he was building and boasting in slipped out from under him, and that, those things got an infinite downgrade in value the moment he saw Jesus. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate that, and for, for some reason, this episode of SpongeBob came to my mind of a time when Mr. Krabs uh, convinces SpongeBob to buy this old novelty hat from him, and, and he said that it, it belonged to Smitty Werben Jagerman Jensen, and uh, so SpongeBob, you know, believes the story, gets the hat, and then, and then all of a sudden, Mr. Krabs realizes that that's a sought-after collectible item right there and it's it's worth a million dollars 
And so he goes on, he tries to find it, and, and, and I won't go into all the details, but SpongeBob ends up burying the, the hat with, he finds the grave of, of Smitty and puts it on him. It was his hat, Mr. Krabs, he was number one. And so Mr. Krabs goes back to try to dig up the grave and get that hat, but what, what happens next? Well, uh, they have uncovered dumpsters full of these hats, and, and suddenly they're just junk. Something that was a million dollars suddenly lost all its value. Pe- people used to like try to get, y'all, y'all familiar with the Beanie Baby craze? You know, when I was growing up, that was, that was a big deal. It was like this, this plush toy was, you know, buy it for $2,000 for a Princess Diana. It's like nobody cares about Beanie Babies anymore except for my private collection that's in my attic. Uh, <laughs> But Paul suddenly realized it's a dime a dozen. All that stuff that he was striving for, you you can get that anywhere. But there's only one Jesus. Jesus was more of a treasure to Paul than anything else he could attain. His respectability, people's praise. It was all eclipsed by the blinding glory of Christ Paul took all of his trophies, all of his certificates of achievement, all of his Instagram likes and Snapchat streaks, all the things that impressed others about him, and he tossed them in a heap, and he did what we're going to do later tonight. We're not going to do this to your stuff, but we are going to set a huge bonfire and smiled while he did it. He uses an almost crude word here. He says, I I count them as rubbish. It's the, it's the Greek word for excrement. He says, it, it's just all a bunch of crap. That, that stuff that the dogs want to sell you, it, it's, it's dog crap compared to the Jesus that I have known. What used to be gain is loss, and what used to be loss is gain. Remember last night, death is gain? Far better. Anything that pulls him closer to Jesus, no matter the cost. Matt Chandler writes, in comparison to the infinite gain of Jesus, Paul considers everything else negotiable, everything sacrificable, everything losable. What about you? You got certain non-negotiables that nobody better touch or mess with? Your parents try to take that thing away from you and that's when the claws come out. That's when you get angry, you get aggressive, you become disrespectful because that's a non-negotiable. You know, why, why is it often a, a fight over these things? Well, because this, this, is, this is the window into the world of making you into somebody. This, this is the status update right here. And so it's like, no, you know, cancel breakfast for a month, month, but don't take away my phone. Why is that? Because it's, it's touching my identity. What are you trying to get out of life? To be desperate to be known for. Jesus has surpassing value compared to the trinkets. L- listen, is, is this the version of Christianity that you embrace? If you call yourself a Christian, 
you're a believer, you, you, you can't have some DIY version of that. It's an all or nothing deal. You, you don't get to step halfway into this. There's actually a, a library that's on the border of the United States and Canada. And see, so you, you come into the library, there's like this little subtle line that demarcates that border. And, you know, if you're coming from the Canada side and you're crossing over, these potted plants right there represent the border between Canada and the United States. And, you know, of course, those fools are just not ready for the Canadian invasion that's about to come. Uh, but Paul's... Paul's entrance into Christianity was, was not this subtle. Uh, it, it left him needing medical attention. It turned his world upside down. It wrecked him in the best of ways. It left him undone and rebuilt and renamed. There is a universe of a difference between Jesus is okay and Jesus is everything. Is there something you feel that you need and if Christ were to come and say, lay that down. It's done. That's not going to continue in your life and let me be enough. Would you be ready to hand it over to him because he is all. Now listen, this doesn't mean that Paul doesn't have any ambitions. He, he was a man of, of great ambition. He was, he was laser focused on one thing. And, and, and look what, what this is in verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him. And, and that's astounding. This is written by a man who's, who's literally known Jesus for 30 years he has seen him personally. He's been taken up into the third heaven. I don't know what that means. That must have been an awesome experience. You think he knows him. And yet he says, you know, if, if I could get one thing, it would be to know Jesus more. There's this holy discontent that he has. He, he is not coasting. He's not fine with, okay, that's enough for now. Time to, time to move on to some other stuff. This is his all-consuming passion. Christ is not the means to an end. He is the end. He, he's not an inspirational life coach to come alongside of you when life gets tough and give you some tips as you follow your own dreams. He's the goal that we are racing after. And Paul says, I, I want to know his power. I, I want to be confident in my flesh and my abilities. I, I don't want what I do in this life to, to, to be limited by my best efforts, no matter how impressive I think I am. I want, I want real power. I want something that's supernatural. I want something that this world doesn't understand. They don't get how you can have joy in those, in those circumstances. I, I want to be led into situations that are, that are risky and make me uncomfortable because I know He's with me. He's going to empower me. He's going to lead me from strength to strength. And I want to know the fellowship of His suffering. 
Suffering is not something to retreat from. It's something that makes me know what is my Jesus life because he suffered. And so my suffering is not meaningless. My disappointments and my difficulties are not wasted moments. They are, they are times of me getting to know my Savior better. They answer his one ambition. This is what he studied and pursued and was after. And what, 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 what gets your attention? What, what gets your study? Well, get your time. Because you and I, we, we, we can only know so much. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of the myth of the information age that you can just keep adding it on, adding on more facts, seeing more videos, and, and it's, just, it's just as limitless as the internet is. But you're not limitless. You only have so much energy, so much attention span, so much interest, and, and you're spending it. You're spending it on stuff all of the time. What's, what's getting it? Is God getting the leftovers from that? Because th- th- this is a world that wants your eyes. It wants your heart. And, and, and there, there's good things out there. This is, this is not a message of, you know, just blow up everything else in your life because <laughs> um, just do a Bible study all the time. But, but we know this. I mean, I'll, I'll hop online to try to find an illustration real quick for a message, and before I know it, like I found some new band, and I'm looking them up on Spotify, or the other day, I, somehow I stumbled upon a video of how to rescue yourself if you fall into ice water, if you like sink through the ice, and, and, and I started watching it, and I said, what am I doing? I live in New Orleans. I am literally never going to need this information. It snows once every six years, and Lake Pontchartrain has never frozen over. Uh, so, but, but just in a moment, it's like I followed the links, and my time is wasting away. What, what do you stare at? What do you think about? What do you, what do you talk about? Because we talk about what animates us, what interests us. I imagine you, you couldn't have a five-minute conversation with the Apostle Paul and Jesus would not somehow be a topic. He loved him. What do people hear from you? Sinclair Ferguson says this, this Paul's goal setting was centered on the person of Jesus Christ. It involved the pursuit of personal knowledge of Christ. Fellowship with him was his passion. Anything less can hardly be described as Christian goal setting or life management. Is at the top of your hopes for this year that you would grow in your affection for Jesus, that he would be more stunning to you, more beautiful than the allure of, of sin. And then finally, Paul says that he's pressing forward. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. He, he's, he's not settling. He, he's not okay with just getting by as a Christian, right? Are you, are you content with just enough spiritual stuff to get your parents off of your back and make you feel good about yourself when you go to bed? And as long as those things are in order and you're not sinning in too dramatic of ways, you're, you're, you're fine, all right? I'm good. I can, I can last it to another youth camp or another winter retreat. Paul, Paul knows that the person who's coasting is actually drifting downstream in the wrong direction. And he's, he's not looking to the stuff behind. Which means past triumphs, they, 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 don't, they don't secure that I'm always going to be what I've seen, where I am. It doesn't secure future faithfulness. But, but there's also, there's, there's more to to experience from the Lord. I, I just loved hearing this. Some of y'all were at the, the testimony service on New Year's Eve at Lakeview and uh, loved hearing from, from Jenna and, and from Daisy and several others there. Uh, Judy Gambino shared there and something that she said stood out to me because she said, you know, I've just been really praying, God, where do, you, where do you want me to serve? You know, what do you want from me? And I'm thinking in the back of my head, this is, this is Judy Gambino talking. She serves literally everywhere. You can't come into our church and not encounter her bothering you at the front door because she wants to know you and wants to welcome you. And yet she's postured, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And she talked about God leading her to take up a, a ministry of, of prayer because she, she, she wants what God's doing right now. What's next? I'm not just caught up in what lies behind. Past failures? I mean, Paul, Paul had a rap sheet. He doesn't go into that information here, but as, as much of a success as he was, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the least of the apostles. And he was aware of that, but it didn't define him. Past regrets. But, but, but he's also not caught up in some of the good things that God used in his past and feeling like because God used that setting, that place, that relationship in a meaningful way in my life, that he's not going to do something in an, an entirely different place, new setting, new relationship. I mean, sometimes we get kind of nostalgic and we think about the, the people that have walked with us in the past and uh, the things that we've experienced, and, and we can kind of feel like, well, stuff looks different right now. The landscape looks different. Stuff feels different. And, and so we just determine to wander around in, in circles and not really move forward in what God has for us. Paul says, I, 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 I'm grateful for the past, but I'm not looking to the past. I'm striving forward because there's more of Jesus to have in my life. No matter where I am, I used to be in Jerusalem and then I was in Antioch and I've been in a Philippian jail and now it feels like I'm rotting away in a Roman prison and there's something in front of me to do. There's more to know and there's more to grow. And listen, for, for a setting like this, you know, we have a lot of our, a lot of the, the, the members of the youth group have, have gone on and have served us and 
um, served you guys and related with you. You know, they're, they're at another conference this week. A lot of the college students are. And that feels a little different, doesn't it? You know, could feel like, wait, does this count as a youth thing for some of those people not to be here? And, and as, as grateful as we are for their role in our lives, God's got something for you. God's got something for you to step into. You, you can't just be caught up on the way something used to be or used to feel like. There's something to lay hold of. And, and the language he uses is, is instructive because, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff that doesn't tend to sell today. Striving, straining, pressing. <laughs> These are the, the words of endurance, of difficulty, of effort. God never said it's going to be easy. It'll be entirely free, but it'll be costly, and it'll require work. You know, young people in particular, I think, I think culturally we've got a problem with this, but I, I've just, I've, I've heard this ever since I was in youth, you know, people saying, I'm just waiting for God to do this, or God just needs to do a work in me, God, you know, and, and so it's like this passive language, it's like, you know, you've you, you got to get to work. You, you, you got to press through what, what feels boring at first and feels unattractive and unfamiliar. Sometimes we want the end results that, you know, people who are really mature or, or well-off in some category, and, and we don't really want the route that they took to get there, in part because we live in a culture of entitlement and ease, you know, You've got generations that have kind of finally reached the point of retirement and settling down and, 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 and people in their 20s and 30s, they want the lifestyle that they're enjoying now, right now, without having to, having to live life that gets you a lifestyle. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can pull up a YouTube video and it takes you five minutes to watch somebody do something really talented really skillful, and you feel like in the amount of time it took you to watch the video, you should be able to do what they're doing, <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. Now, it's been fun hearing uh, Richard play the guitar um, this weekend, and I, I imagine that is hours and hours of practice that produces that, you know, but sometimes it's like, I, I want to I play like that. I want to be able to do that, or I, I want to know God like the Apostle Paul and he says, okay, here's the recipe. Get on your knees and pray. Open up your Bible and pour over it. Step into situations that are hard and that you don't feel prepared for and keep going. Get shipwrecked and stoned sometimes <laughs> and get back up and do it another day. And then you get to know him. You will always pursue and you will further what you find your identity in. So you'll, you'll give yourself to sports, you'll give yourself to music, to, to study and to make sure you're doing well in academics, to developing your friendships, to pursuing relationships, because those are the things that can make you feel that you are completed. But, but what got furthered in the things of God for you last year? How did you grow in prayer? How did you grow in serving? How did you grow in obedience? How did you grow in spiritual gifts? And, and, if, and if, you can, if you can find that there were, there were things in, in other categories that are 
valuable, but they're the things that Paul has kind of said compared to Jesus. I'll, I'll toss them in the shredder. Go ahead and juice that thing, thing up for me. Well, that, that, that informs our perspective. What's our identity? And honestly, whether or not it's in something that can be shaken, because that stuff can be stolen from you in a moment. And the thing you thought, I'm going to be doing that the rest of my life, in an instant, it, it can be gone. But this stuff, Paul says, you will take it with you for the next 10 billion years. And those are, there, there are two motivators in this passage for why you should strive. The one is, he, he's aware that he's, he's made Christ's own. He says, verse 12, because Christ has made me his own, I want to own something of Jesus. I want there to be personal ownership, not let it be something outside of me that I observe other people doing. This, this belongs to me. Why? Because I belong to Him. He gave His life for me. I'm His. And so I want to know Him. And then He's also got a mind on eternity. In verse 19, He's talking about people who walk as enemies of the cross. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What, what's that about? He, he, he's saying that they're, they're ruled by their appetites, their impulses for whatever here and now is going to feel good or make me look good or give me a thrill, and I've got a craving for it. The only thing I, I can think of is in terms of instant gratification. I want it, I get it. I want it, I get it. And that can happen in food. Right? That's why the, the God is their belly language comes from. But, 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 he, but he's describing people who their only assessment for what's worthwhile and, and, and for what I should add to my life, it's, just, it's bound by this earthly timeline. It's the stuff that contains expiration dates. Often it's the stuff that leaves you hollow the next day. We live, in, we live in a world that, that wants the, the piece of our existence that was made to be enamored with the glory of Jesus. And, and it, it wants you to take that faculty. You, you have that kind of faculty because you have a soul. You, you have this capacity to be amazed, to be captivated, be stunned by something. And it, and it wants you to, to take that faculty and to binge watch Netflix with it. It wants you to take that and, and give it to pornography. It wants you to take that and, and, and give it to stuff that affects your senses and releases endorphins and it is gone as fast as it came. What's, what's going what's gonna to build something for your future that will never be taken, never be shaken? Because Paul says, when I, when I had an identity crisis, all that stuff that, you know, the world glories in things that are shameful. You know, you know why, a, a, I've heard one pastor share this, you, you, you go to a, a, you know, a birthday party for three-year-olds and the cupcakes come out and they are just 
taking cupcakes and slamming them into their faces or just eating the icing off of this one and saying, I want a new cupcake. It's like you miss the cake part of the cupcake. They just want the icing. It's like, why, why don't adults do that? Uh, well, there's a few reasons, but one of them is shame. Because if I, if I do that, uh, I am going to be ashamed. I'm going to look really stupid. And what Paul says here is, there are people that, that there's another dimension of you that God created. It's called shame, and it's, it's out of whack. I've, I've, got a, I've got a concern for your place in life, the time that you live in, is that all you have known from the world around you from a young age is that things that are shameful are normalized. And, and, and because nobody else feels like, oh, what's the big deal with that? What's, what's wrong with that? I don't get it. And, and that's the message that's streaming in and coming through the songs you listen to and being presented through the movies you watch and capturing your imaginations and the storylines or people throwing off all those constraints. And that's like the climax of that movie. And, and it's like our wiring has gotten all messed with. And so stuff that, that God says, you ought to be ashamed to indulge in that like that. To, to, to once again pull that up. And what Paul says is, when Jesus is beautiful, you don't need that image. You don't need that vision of light. Christianity is, is a, it's a terrible religion if, if it's, you know, by your own willpower, there's just a list of stuff that you don't get to do. Paul says, I'm done with that. I'm done with living that way. Instead, I've got a Savior who is so satisfying that you, you, you can't, it's like, you, you, you know, if I'm about to eat a steak dinner, you, you can't bring a bowl of little can, hard candies to me to, to eat beforehand and fill up on because I, what are you talking about? I don't need that. And he's got a heart that is not merely on on earthly things, but he's, he describes himself as being a citizen of, of heaven. And, and there are things that, that we spend ourselves on today that, that we give a lot of ourselves to pursue, that feel good, they feel like they add something to us now, that one day, the, it's like the currency of earth is going to become irrelevant and, and heavenly currency is going to be the only reward that matters. And, and what's going to happen with what we have run after then? What we have added to our bank accounts? It's, 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 a, it's a little amazing to see that happen throughout times in, in history where all of a sudden the, the currency of a nation inflates so much or their, their economy goes so out of whack that what used to be so valuable, it, it, it's like essentially worthless now. You, you've got pictures of people living in, in places of the world that in order to buy groceries, they have to bring a wheelbarrow of cash because that, that's how worthless that money has become and they're like using it for toilet paper and burning it for fires because of hyperinflation. 
That, that's happened at different times in history. Back in the, 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 the Weimar Republic of, of Germany after World War I, um, a writer named Walter Levy says that my father was a lawyer, an internationally known German-born oil consultant in New York. This is the stuff that he built his life for. He'd taken out an insurance policy in 1903, and every month he made the payments faithfully. It was a 20-year policy, and when it came due, he cashed it in and bought a single loaf of bread. It's like the, what, what, what seemed like it's worthwhile putting money away, spending yourself month after month, and then, and then suddenly it gets you something that, go down to Walmart and get that for a few dollars. That is, that's a frightening and sobering reality that many of us may encounter one day. Because Paul, he, he lived right up on the edge of eternity. He could see the drop that faced him. And he, and he knew. There's stuff that people are so caught up in pursuing right now that they, they, it's like they've, they've got wheelbarrows loaded down thinking that they have arrived and they are in for a rude awakening. Because we're citizens of heaven. And one day what's been cashed and, and put in heavenly bank accounts, well, that's what we get to withdraw from. Listen, there, there will be no, no moment that you say no to sin and yes to righteousness. No moment that you push past your boredom and your distraction and you, and you focus in on, on God's word or time with prayer. No, no time that you sacrifice something in order to serve that will be wasted away. It will reap for you reward in the next 10 billion years to come. You've got to think in terms of investment. There were three founders of Apple originally, Steve Jobs and another guy, and, and then uh, this, this other man named Ronald Wayne and he sold his share of the company back in 1976 for a total of $800. Uh, if he had kept it, it would have been worth $75 billion. He didn't see the long-term investment. Listen, you've you got to see the long-term investment for what we are pursuing. Ben, if you come back up, man, let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord. I want to invite us to